It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. I'm Evan Brown. The new month brought the end of COVID-mandated pauses on both interest and collection of federal student loan debt. But will the debtors pay? Can they pay? And did the pause help or hurt? I still haven't logged on to my student loan account to look at where the debt is. I've had a few emails from them. I'm actually terrified. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. One of the special considerations made when the COVID-19 pandemic came about was the suspension of many types of debt to the U.S. government. Among them were student loans. The nation is in the midst of a number of crises, but the student loan debt crisis has been ongoing for more than a decade. And despite promises to provide relief or outright cancellation of the debt, there are now millions of Americans who are being told once again, pay up or we'll send Uncle Sam after you. This is 43 million people who are going to have to be uh, resuming payments on a debt that is the scale of it is is quite extraordinary. Alan Collins heads up studentloanjustice.org. He's a student debtor himself who's now spent years in Washington knocking on doors of congressional offices trying to convince them to restore bankruptcy protections to student loan borrowers. But we'll also hear from two individuals whose student loan debt they say is unrepayable. And while the COVID years gave them a break and a chance to restore their fiscal health, they're now being asked to pay something exceeding their take-home salaries. Around $300 million a day in interest alone, which is essentially profit, right, for the Department of Education, is now clicking off on our backs. Now, um, before the pandemic, few people realized most people were not making payments on their student loans before the pandemic, around 58.9%. So that's nearly three in five of all borrowers. Um, some of them were in deferments. Many of them were in default, uh, otherwise delinquent. But the fact of the matter is, Evan, that even before the pandemic, this lending system was, I would say, catastrophic failure. And when they turned the loans back on, um, all politics aside, th- the reality is that probably not even 25 percent of the borrowers are going to resume making payments. So that three and five is probably going to go up to close to four and five. And I should say, it's not a protest. It's, it's not a strike. It's not we're not trying to make a political statement here. It's not a boycott. This is just the sort of the end of the federal student loan program, quite frankly. I mean, what do you call it when the large majority of all borrowers are not paying into a loan system? Yeah, you talk about it not being a, a strike or, or anything. Um, but are these are these decisions to to just not pay or is this a can't pay and or is it a a i could pay if i really struggled but i'd rather not kind of pay or because it'll it'll put the rest of my life in a in a clinch 
You know, what is or or is it a spectrum of all of that? Well, I think it's mostly the first thing, you know, even before this pandemic, according to Trump's uh, um, federal student aid chief, 85 percent of all borrowers were never going to be able to repay their loans. So, as I said earlier, um, uh, roughly well, more than half had were unable to pay and another 35 percent were paying and paying and paying. And many of our members have paid back, you know, hundreds of percent of what they originally borrowed like many times. Um, and they just can't do it anymore. I think they're done. I, I think I think the pandemic gave us um, much needed relief. But I think the, the inflation that has crept into this country in the ensuing three and a half years, it's taking back every dollar that they were saving uh, from not having to make payments. So. It's just not going to happen, Evan. <laughs> People are just not going to resume paying on their loans. We're, we're going to see a mass default. And, you know, I give huge discredit to the Biden administration and, quite frankly, many administrations going back decades because everyone in Washington, D.C. saw this coming. All the people at the Department of Education know what I know. And this was easily foreseeable, easily preventable. And um, the Department of Education, and I, I call it the student loan swamp, in Washington, D.C., they deserve a huge amount of blame for this catastrophe. Well, let's talk about what it's like to have debt uh, such as this. Uh, Alan, you've brought two uh, people along with us today. I want to speak to Sherry Hicks, who is talking to us from Michigan. Uh, Sherry, thank you for coming in and telling your story. Let's start off by knowing exactly how much you borrowed and how much you owe and how you got from point A to point B. Because these stories, um, I'm sure yours is unique, but at the same time, it is it is common. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for telling our stories. I graduated from college in 1993 with a debt load of $24,000. I currently have a debt load for student loans, $80,000. That is all compounded interest. There have been times during my life when I had job loss, where uh, I was married and my husband lost his job, um, when I just couldn't make the full payment. And this is where it's such a racket. If I called student loan servicing and asked if I could make a lower payment, they offered an income ratio payment. And that payment was based on the amount of debt and my income and what I they think I should be able to pay for the majority of the time that I owed and was making payments on the loan, that income adjusted payment was $700. Now, for me, most of my life, that's been my rent. That's been at least my rent or my rent is a little bit more, but how can you make two rent payments in a month? And so my option from them was always, well, you can go into forbearance and then they won't take a payment from you when you're in forbearance. So I could afford maybe two, three hundred dollars, not seven. And so the debt kept compounding. That interest kept compounding on the debt to the point that I got to eighty thousand dollars. How much do you think you um, you actually paid off of that? Did you get your principal ever paid off, do you think? Probably, yes. Over time, it's been 30 years. We also have with us John Connors. You're in Rhode Island, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Sherry's story is going to be eerily similar to yours. And you, you may have something different to tell us, but ultimately you're going to 
you're going to feel that this kind of is very familiar for you. Yeah, very familiar. Yes, yes. Sherry and I, that uh, story certainly rings true for me. Um, I started at about $60,000. I'm up to about $98,000. I started making payments in 2013, I think it was. I graduated in 2012, and um, I was married at the time. Uh, uh, My wife was just recently unemployed, and uh, housing was an issue. We were losing our home. So I I tried contacting the Department of Education because my payment, I think the the cheapest they could get it down to was – yeah, the payments were about $550 a month. That was about the cheapest they could uh, offer me at the time. And um, on just my income alone and, and, and managing to try to support a family and a, and a, and a, and a house, um, we just couldn't do it. So um, I had to go into forbearance for a, a short period of time, maybe about a year. And then I uh, decided to try the income-driven repayment plan. So I was able to sign on to that. And I was doing the income-driven repayment plan up until the um, up in pandemic, and um, the, the 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 payment every year would go up and up, and uh, it got to a point where um, if I was going to have to start to make payments again, it was going to be at a point where I I wasn't really going to be able to make the payment um, once they recalculated what I could do um, every month because every year it gets recalculated based on uh, your income. We're speaking with student loan debtors who, after years of COVID pauses, now have to start repaying their loans and interest is accruing. What will they do? On the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition, we'll have more straight ahead. So COVID comes along for the two of you. Uh, Hopefully no one got sick. But at the same time, with all the emergency measures that were put into place, student loan collections, which again are all federal, um they uh they went on they went on hold interest was paused so for the first time in in really decades i think that that interest was not uh, accruing for so many people so what's what has it been like how how have you been able to sort of uh live a little bit here with um with not having to make those payments and also knowing that the debt wasn't going to grow what what you know despite obviously everything else going wrong in the past few years with with covid and politics and everything else that has made uh, things so strange for all of us um i'll ask you first john what you know what have the past few years been like it's been a big relief i mean it was something that weighed on my mind every single day um when i woke up i thought about it when i went to bed i thought about it um and it's just the day-to-day um cost of living uh I mean, the cost of living has gone up anyway with inflation, but not having that extra burden of making that um, student loan payment has been has been a big relief uh, psychologically. And it uh, has made it so, you know, we've had a budget, a family budget that it, as things kind of came up in emergencies or, or situations, if, the, if our children needed something that was an extra cost, um, you know, we had the ability to um, figure something out a lot of times. And uh, it just made life a lot more manageable and, and and livable sherry what about you these past few years without having to make your uh, your payments and also knowing that the debt probably wasn't growing or at least not growing the way it used to one thing that changed for me is student loans stopped reporting to the credit bureaus which meant that all of a sudden i had a spike in my debt ratio on my credit report so my credit score went up that allowed me to refinance my car at half of the percentage rate that I was paying. And it allowed me to secure a loan 
that also was um, half or a third of what the percentage rate is on credit cards. So during COVID, my my income decreased twice. We um, had to take pay cuts. I stayed employed the entire time, but I was working at less than what I was normally making, and that was an impact. But being able to consolidate some credit cards because my credit score went up because that debt wasn't reported. So that made a huge difference for me. The date, September 1st, which just passed, um, it, it must have loomed pretty large for you. What what was it like throughout August, for that matter, knowing that, that that September was really coming along the line here? I still haven't logged on to my student loan account to look at where the debt is. I've had a few emails from them. I'm actually terrified to go and look. I know what they're reporting on my credit report as the debt, but I have no idea how I'm going to make a payment. Do you do you want to make a payment or how, how do you feel right now about that? I'm actually really angry that I got railroaded into forbearance for as long as it was. Um, I was told that they're changing the way that they're reporting how payments have been recorded. Originally, when I consolidated my loans, they said 25 years of payments and then you're forgiven. Well, it's been 30 and I don't have a forgiveness. John, what about you? Same same question, John. Yeah, I mean, very, very stressful knowing that uh, September 1st is uh, coming going. Uh, I, I, I haven't logged on to my account uh, either. And um, yeah, I just... I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. I, um, I I know I won't be able to make a payment if, if you know if it comes to that. I, do you? Would you want to make a payment? Are you Are you ready to say hell no, never again? I mean, what's you know what's kind of goes through your mind at this point? You've kind of had a taste of not having to make these payments and not have it impact your the rest of your your fiscal life for a while. So what you've gotten that taste. So you know where are you mentally with this? Yeah, mentally I um. I don't want to make a payment. Yes, definitely not. Um, I, I mean, think that yeah, if no one ever wants to make a payment, but you know, yeah. <laughs> but here you are. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I, I think that if we would treat it uh, a little fairly, um, if the if the process was more similar to any other sort of a loan product, and you had bankruptcy Oops. protection, other consumer protections, um, I would probably be willing to, uh, you know, relook at a way to try to make payments, but. Uh, under the current circumstances, no, I'm not willing to to do that. Sherry, same question. I mean, you you're in you're, you're someone who's caught in the middle of of this. You hear the you hear the rhetoric fights, but you're you're someone who's got to live this every day. Are are you a trust fund baby who uh, is, just doesn't want to pay her bills? No, I'm not a trust fund baby. You'd think a trust fund baby would have paid cash for college. No, I I don't own a home. I have a lot of debt. I'm single. I don't have a family. I can't buy a house because I don't have a great credit rating because of my student loan. So it affects everything in my financial life. And no, it's not that I don't want to make a payment. I just don't know how I'm going to with all of the increased costs. And my salary has not increased over time and certainly not during COVID. So I'd love to make a payment. I'm actually terrified of defaulting because that uh, there are threats that, you know, they'll go after your Social Security, and that's the only way I'm going to be able to afford retirement. Alan, uh, you have been working on this for years, uh, and uh, one of the the things that 
always comes back into play here is this idea of bankruptcy. It, it, it's I, I have had the conversation myself with a number of people that bankruptcy appears in the U.S. Constitution as a as an avenue for people. It doesn't come in the Bill of Rights. It actually comes in a much earlier part of the U.S. Constitution. I want you to talk about this because you're so well versed in this, and, and I think no one explains it better than you do. The founders called for uniform bankruptcy laws, a.k.a. rights, right, in the Constitution, ahead of the power to declare war, ahead of the power to raise an army, uh, ahead of all the rights enumerated in the Bill of Rights. So, you know, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, many others were being hurt badly under debt to British banks and merchants. So while nobody wants to file for bankruptcy, by taking this constitutional right away from the loans, you give the lender a license to steal. And, and that is what the Department of Education and its contractors have engaged in over years and decades now. You know, I don't think most people understand how massively profitable this lending system has become for the government for the colleges, uh, um, for the taxpayers, if you will. Um, the taxpayers have made a king's ransom on this predatory lending system. And, you know, we've been fighting for the return of uh, standard bankruptcy protections for nearly two decades now. And we've seen, going back to George Bush, all the way through Barack Obama, uh, the first term of Trump, and now uh, nearly three years of Joe Biden. And we have seen both political parties completely betray and abandon us. The, it's kind of a good cop, bad cop thing. The, the, the Republicans tend to be resistant. But, you know, the Democrats, despite their rosy rhetoric and they sound friendly to student loan borrowers, they had all the power they needed, not once but twice. Last session when they controlled the House of Senate presidency and then back in Barack Obama's first term. And they've been promising to return bankruptcy rights to the loans the, this whole time. And last session, they very flagrantly abandoned very good legislation that would have made that happen. Alan Collins, studentloanjustice.org. You can find him online. John Connors, Sherry Hicks, thank you both for being with us here on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Cool, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.